you guys feel like uh, the, the world is divided? You guys get that sense? We've talked a lot about division. Do you get the sense that it is? Or are you guys like, it's all good? There's no division. What's what's all sense? Like there's a lot of division out there? You feel like that? You know, it's interesting because if you feel like there's a lot of division in the world, you're not alone. Uh, I was looking at a survey by um, U.S. News and World Report put on, so very scientific. And the world, uh, they did a survey of the world, which constituted, you know, 30 or so countries, several thousand people. And what they found was that the vast majority of people feel like there is a great deal of division in the world. And there's, in fact, more division now than just a decade ago. And so if you think, you know, if there's that much division now, then are we trending in a way where there's going to be even more division? The, 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 um, the most divided place in the world, based on the people who live there, is, any guesses? What's the most divided place in the world? When you think in terms of, I'm, go ahead. Say it again. Close, but Serbia. It's great guess. You're, you're going to be real surprised in a second. It's actually Serbia. The U.S., we clock in at about, uh, we're like in fourth place. 84% of the people feel like we're greatly divided, and more so than a decade ago. Who wants to take a guess for the two least divided countries in the world? And I'll try not to laugh. Two least divided countries in the world. Any guesses? Yes. <laughs> That's a great guess. That's a great guess. You're very close. The second least divided country in, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Wait, did you see this survey? You saw, good job, way to go. Second least divided country in the whole, in the whole world is China. At, uh, I think, 43% of the people there feel like it's, you know, kind of divided, which is pretty good, actually. Who wants to venture a guess for the least, Tanner, yes, sir. What's that? Well, that would be a good guess, and you would think, well, that would make sense. I'm trying to, let's be kind of ironic here. So, you know, China's not, I mean, it's being recorded. I'm not trying to offend anybody. Okay, I don't want to be, this afternoon, no drone strikes. Least divided country in the world. Being totally ironic, you'll be surprised. Any guesses? You, you were right? Yeah, go ahead. Huh? Well, that would be good. That'd be a good guess. Now, the least divided country in the world is Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised, just like you're surprised. Uh, they, they come, only 34% of the people there feel like it's divided. So, so Saudi Arabia is apparently not a very divided place. But when you think about division, what, and that, that's kind of the macro global sense of division, I want us to kind of, you know, zoom in a little bit. And I want us to think in terms of um, areas of division sort of in, in our country? Like, what would, what would you guys identify? And, you know, Eric gave you guys some examples last, uh, last, time, last week or Sunday. What were, what were some areas, when you guys think of division in our country, what do you guys think of? Yeah, Gresh. Okay, yeah, political division, sure. What else? Racial division, yeah, right. Any other? Yeah. Are bagels? They're not. That's not an actual area of division. That, that nobody, anybody who thinks that's that's very clear cut. That's not even an area of dispute. Yeah. Religion. Religion. Yeah. Absolutely. Lots of area. Yeah. 
Okay, interesting, okay. <laughs> All right, anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, so how about, that's kind of, you know, you know, areas of political division, kind of countrywide. How about, um, how about right here? Oh, no, well, before we do that, how about like your age group? Like what are things that divide people who are your age? Is it political still? I mean, I'd be kind of surprised if it was just a little bit racial. What, what divides people y'all's age? Oh, hi, Ruby. What are you doing back there? Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, all these seats up here and you're hiding back there. Such a shame. Yeah. Okay, social status. That divides people y'all's age. Yeah. What else? Sports? Interesting. Okay, yeah. Style choices? Like, is this salmon or is it pink? <laughs> okay. What else? It's what? Oh, thank you. And what else? What else divides people y'all's age? Hair. Whether you have it or you don't? No? Okay. So how about, okay, so let, let's zoom in just a little tighter. That's kind of your age. How about in this very room? What divides people who are sitting right here? In these chairs, be real. What divides people who are sitting right here in this gym? Their preferences? Okay, like what? Okay, so they do sports or not. See if they're, if they're athletic or not? Like what they do. Okay. Like some people play the violin, and some people don't like musicians. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> So what else? School? Thank you. Whether you're homeschooled or whether you go to public school, whether you go to private school. What else? What divides you guys? It's not political. You guys don't care about that. Gossip. You guys gossip? Oh, you don't, you don't gossip, but everybody else, you, I confess, they gossip. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Okay. Apparently, you guys all gossip. They, don't, they gossip about you? What else? Some, some of you guys gossip, and that creates division. What else? You can't just mouth it. Yeah. Go ahead. Abby Wabby, what, what are you mouthing? What, what, what divides us? Friend groups. We're not one big friend group in here. I'm sorry? Sin. A plus. Big Z. What? Your interests. Like you're into Duran Duran, right? I'm into Duran Duran. The reflex. What else? Anything else divide people in this room? He's wearing a Duran Duran shirt if you don't know that. And they're a great 80s band. That's when I grew up. Anyways, what else divides us? JD? A working labrum or not? What, is, what divides us? Us, like us right here. Hmm? Skill? Skills. Yeah, like some of you guys, yeah, like there, some of you guys have a lot of skills, you know, and then there's other folks. So there's all kinds of things that divide us, all kinds of things that divide us. And the reason why we're talking about division is because we can be you know, divided at the national level, at the community level, and we're divided. We can be divided right here. But one more question before we move on. What, um, what divides you, and I'm not, I don't need, like, I'm not asking for some theoretical thing about, 
your take on being 15 generally. I'm talking about what divides you. Like, what, what, what divides you internally? Like, what takes away your peace? What are the things that divide you? Any takers? Yeah. Doubts. Self-doubt. Yeah, that's a big one. I wish we grew out of that. What else? Yeah. Guilt. Guilt's a big one, too. Wish you grew out of that one. What else? Any other takers? Oh, hi. Worry. What's that? Worry, yeah, we worry. There's so many things, especially when you're young, there's so many things that, to worry about. Are your grades good enough? Do you measure up? What are you going to do when you grow up? Where are you going to go to school? You know, your parents going to be proud. So much to, to worry about if you're in the worrying business. Anything else? Well, that's a pretty good list. Yeah, no, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Yeah. Regrets, like not singing worship tonight? Regrets. You can have regrets. Uh, hey, how about Caleb Fair singing worship? Is that not awesome? Thank you, Caleb. No regrets. We can have regrets. Regrets, doubts, worries, fears, all can divide us. And there's so many things that create division. The reason why we're talking about division is, as you guys know, in Ephesians, and especially this section that we're going to talk about tonight, there's, there's talk of division. Paul is addressing Division and God's solution for division. Your title for tonight, if you want a title, it's called Unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me give you some background real quick before we jump in. You guys know where the letter of Ephesians is directed to? Where is it directed to? This is such an easy, this is, this is a gimme, yeah. The church at Ephesus. And uh, Paul, did you know, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? You guys know. Who said jail? <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah, he was sitting in jail. How many references are there to Paul complaining about sitting in jail in this letter? Are there any? There aren't any. So he's sitting in jail so writing this letter, and he doesn't even talk about the fact. He, you know, it, technically, he's like under house arrest, so he's not in a, like a jail cell, so to speak. So he's under house arrest, but still, he is confined under the state's, you know, uh, uh, invitation. And he's, uh, he's not allowed to go anywhere. And he's speaking to a group. Listen, so he sends this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he knows them very well because he used to pastor that church. That was his church. And so he knows them. He knows what they struggle with. He knows what's going on there. He knows their youth. He knows the families. And then he left, and he left Timothy there. And then Timothy pastored them. So he knows this group that he's directing this letter to, and, and he knew that they had some challenges. They, 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 were, they had some struggles, some obstacles, because in 1 Timothy, what does he, he tells Timothy in chapter 1, he says, I urge you upon my leaving Macedonia. Listen, here's what Paul says, tells Timothy, okay, listen. Stay at Ephesus so that you can instruct certain men not to teach strange, strange doctrines, uh, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Listen which give rise to mere speculation rather than the furthering uh, the administration of God, which is by faith. Uh, and then he's, they've got these men, and they're, they're, they're turning people aside. They've got these 
fruitless discussions. They're wanting to be teachers of the law. So Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, you got to stay, you know, get, get to Ephesus. You got these teachers there, and they're always wanting to talk about the law, the law, the law, the law. So he wants Timothy to go there, and that's the church in Ephesus. Now look, Timothy sends this letter, 30-year gap. And then 30 years later, when, when they're looking back at the church of, of Ephesus, when you see it in Revelation, listen to how this group of people are described. Because it's kind of a mixed bag. It's, it's said there's some good, and then there's some you know, not so good. So after a 30-year period of this church growing and walking, listen to what it said in, in, in Revelation. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. You, and that's good, right? You guys, wouldn't it be good if you have deeds and you, you toil and you persevere? Those are positive things. That you cannot tolerate evil men. I'd like for somebody to say that. I don't tolerate evil men. That's good. You put to the test those who are called the apostles and they're not. And you found them to be false. And then listen, talking about the church in Ephesus, you have perseverance. You have endured for my name's sake. This is the Lord saying, Hey, way to go. You have persevered and endured for my name. And you've not grown weary. What a great encouragement for the Lord to look back and say, here is how you've grown. You haven't grown weary for me. But what else does the Lord say? But I have this against you. You have left what? You guys know? You have left your first love. You've left your first love. It's like this romantic picture, you know? Like you were so enamored. You were so attracted to the Lord. You were so connected to the Lord. And then you just got cold. You just kind of drifted off. You forgot your first love. You know, it happens in relationships. So much excitement at first. And then, you know, it just kind of goes cold. And that's what the Lord's saying about them. Yeah, you've done good things but you forgot your love. You're just kind of going through the motions. Church in Ephesus on autopilot. You know, we've got to be careful. We don't want that to be like us. We don't want to be something we endured, but we, we lose our first love. So let's talk about today's passage. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Today's passage is, passage is 13 to 18. Ephesians 2, 13 to 18. I'll read it, and if you're there, follow along. And then we'll pray together. So here is our passage, uh, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having it put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for allowing us to come together in your word. I pray that we would understand your word and that we'd be clear about what you uh, are conveying to us in your word and that we would rejoice in what you've provided, that we would never grow cold in our first love for you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So your first point is, your first point is, who are you? 
Real simple. Who are you? In verse 13, Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you. So, but now. So, you know, these are the two great words, but now. So what, was, what were you before? So before, you're different now than you were then, right? But what were you then? And Eric talked to you guys about what you were then. The former you, you were in the flesh, uncircumcised. You were separated from Christ. You were separated from, from the fellowship. You were not part of the promise that God had allowed and invited to the Israelites. You were outside the covenant. You have no hope. You have no salvation, just disease and death and no cures. There ain't, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no gold at the end of the rainbow. There is nothing but death and destruction. That's who you were. There was no God who was going to rescue you. That's who you were. You know, uh, and then, but what are we now? What are we now? You know, on a lighter note, it's like there's a... Uh, you know, you were, we were on the outside then looking in because you were not Israelite. So all of you would be on the outside looking in. It reminds me, you know, there's a serious ailment, a, a very, a very um, contagious condition that is rampant uh, among people primarily your age. Uh, you know, 14 to maybe 20 or something. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, it's rampant. Any ideas? Yeah. Acne. Uh, well, good one. Acne. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. No. <laughs> Actually, FOMO. You guys know what FOMO is? And who doesn't know what FOMO is? FOMO is the fear of missing out. And if you're on, if you're on the outside looking in, you get racked with a condition of FOMO. And I've seen it. I've seen it often. There, and, yet, and the thing about it is, when I was growing up, I didn't have to deal with, like, I could be left out, and there was no, like, snap map for, like, all my friends. I could see them all somewhere. There was no be real. Oh, my gosh, why is everybody there and I'm not there? There's no, like, Instagram posts to show me how everybody's having a great time without me. So I feel like that you guys, if you've got, you're having a good time, everybody's going to know it. If you're doing the great thing, it's going to be online, and everybody's going to see it. So that they get FOMO, and you don't. And then when they're doing that thing, and you're not there, guess who gets FOMO then? You do. And so everybody's having a big party, and you're not included, and it's no fun. It hurts. In actuality, it's no fun at all. But in a far more serious way, this is a big party. This is a banquet, and none of us have any shot of getting in. We're all on the outside looking in. We're out. We're way out. Now, Paul goes on, in this very moment, now, how about now? That's who you were. You were on the outside with no shot. But where are we now? Who are you now? But now in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, he's describing your place. So in Christ Jesus, this is your place. This is your position. It's, 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 you're, you're either in that place or you're not in that place. For example, you're either in this gym or you're not in the gym. Like, it's not, like, if you're in the parking lot, then you're not in the gym. You have to be in a specific place. And he's saying, you are now in Christ Jesus. It's very specific as to where are you located. Are you in him or are you not? Just being in the vicinity ain't good enough. Um, I, I knew a guy, he, uh, 
Are you guys all like subject to surveillance through Life360, the greatest invention ever known to man? You guys are not on Life360. Okay, well, if you're not on Life360, let me clue you in. Life360 tracks your phone, and therefore your parents can track you through your phone, and it's very handy and, <laughs> if you're a parent, and not so handy if you're a kid. Now, a friend of mine uh, kept calling his daughter, and she wasn't picking up. She was off at college 2,000 miles away. And he calls her, she doesn't pick up. He calls her, she doesn't pick up. A couple hours go by, he calls her, she doesn't pick up. Now he's getting nervous, getting real, real concerned about her well-being. So he, um, but he can see through Life360 where she is. He, he's at an address, but she's not picking up. So he calls the police. He sends the police. Police say, hey, where is she? She's at this address. How do you know? Well, because I got her on Life360. And they're like, great, we'll go. So they go. What's the problem? They go to the address. The address is an apartment complex. They're like 100 apartments. So he's like, they're like we, don't, we need to know which unit she's in. He's like, well, I can't tell you what unit she's in. I can just tell you she's over there. See, and in the same way, you gotta, you've got to be in Christ. You can't be in the general area of Christ. Like coming in and going out. Just kind of around the word, around people who maybe believe, just kind of drifting around. You've got to be in Christ. And it's very specific what Paul is saying here. It is a location, and you're either in or you're not in. And there ain't no kind of over there-ish. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's saying. You've got to be in. Where are we? Jesus is not a concept. Jesus is not a theory. He's a person. He's a man, and we've got to be in that person, in him, not just generally near him. It's not about us. It's not about our action. It's about where are you. So my question is, you know, there's only two types of people in the world. We talk about our division, talk about how you want to slice and dice all the folks out there. But in reality, there's only two kinds of people, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And that's Paul's setup for this whole message, for those in Christ Jesus. Because if you are in Christ, that is your identity. That's who you are. And he sets it up with like a good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. See, the, the, you know, I, I, people used to ask me, you want the good news or the bad news? I never really got the question. I was like, well, it depends. Like how bad is the bad news and how good is the good news? He sets it up with the bad news first. You were far off. You were far away. You weren't even close. That's who you were. Kind of like the prodigal son. He was with his father, and then he went in the same, the same terms. He went far off. You were gone. Clueless. You had no meaning, no direction. Talk about worries. Talk about regrets. You would have all kinds of worries. There'd be no solution. You'd have regrets, and there'd be no second chances. You know, you might be thinking, well, I kind of got this. I, I'm kind of doing okay. Well, maybe you are. You're going to grow up and you're going to have seasons in your life where, you know what, I really need a second chance. I'm not a kid anymore. Things have gotten complicated for me. And outside of Christ, there are no second chances, and that's what he's saying. You were far off. You once were that person. Now, I guess the question is, are you still far off? Before we move on to the good news. He's talking about, that's how you once were. He's talking to this group, you once were far off. 
Well, let's not assume that we're not far off, because maybe some of you are. Maybe you are far off. Maybe you don't buy a thing I'm saying, and maybe you don't buy anything that's been said from here, or from Tom, or from anybody else. If, you don't, if that is the case, and that may be you, that may be where you're at, it's not because you are honestly searching for the truth that you have weighed it all, and the arguments just don't hold up. That's not the reality. Don't kid yourself. If you're still far off, it's because you just don't want to believe for your own reasons. But it's not because the Word of God is not compelling. I mean, Jesus lived. Like, we, you can't dispute that. Even the unbelievers will concede that the man, Jesus of Nazareth, lived. They will concede that he was crucified at a specific time, at a specific place, for the claims that he made. And they will concede that you can't find his body. And there's only so many things that could have happened, right? So if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't believe a word of it, it's not because you're on an honest journey to evaluate what happened. You got other things going on, and it could be a host of things, but it's not an honest evaluation of the truth claims of Christ and what the Bible presents. So different topic for a different day, but let's not assume that we're not still far off, but Paul is talking, if you are far off, that's your condition, and it's very, very serious. But he goes on to the good news. You have been brought near. Now, Justin talked about the passive voice last time. Uh, and, and you don't get older and get excited about, like, uh, grammar, uh, but it's just informative. So I'll tell you this. The actor here is hidden. Like, you have been brought near. You didn't do the bringing. God is not spoken of here, but he is doing the bringing. He brought you near. It's not you. You know, when I was, uh, when I was 15, everything, everything up to 15, before I was 16, I was brought places by my parents. Jump in the back seat, they take me where I'm going, and I'm kind of at their mercy, much like some of you guys are. And it's, you know, it's okay. It's got what you got to do. It's a lot more fun when you get to be 16. I was like, hey, I got my license on my 16th birthday, and I'm like, bing, I'm out of here. And then I had freedom, because then I brought myself places. And the message here is you are not doing the bringing. You are in the back seat. Jesus is doing the bringing. And uh, as a back seat occupant in this picture, there's no back seat driving. You get the back seat driver, you're like, hey, do it. Like, there's a reason uh, people say don't be a back seat driver because it has no impact. You can't drive from the back seat. And in this picture, you are a back seat driver. Okay, just stay back there and be quiet because you're not doing the bringing. You're, just, you're 15 forever. You got no license. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. God has brought you near. You have been brought near. Now, speaking of near, what does the Lord say about himself? In Jeremiah 23, what does he say? He says, I am a God who is near, declares the Lord. And not a God far off. He has brought us near. God wants to be near. God, a God who is near. How have you been brought near? By the blood of Christ, Paul says. By the blood of Christ. The one and only way to be brought near. The single way. So how do you move from being far off? Whether you once were far off or whether you're still far off. There's only one way to be brought near. And that is by the grace of God, the blood of Christ. That is how we are brought near. And that is what Paul is saying. So your first point was, uh, who are you? The next point is, 
Who is he? Going to verse 14, for he himself, it's about Jesus. It's like this is, for he himself, this is like uh, repeated for emphasis. He himself. You know, I saw a tattoo, like I was watching Monday Night Football and some football player had a tattoo on his hands, like him, like he is him. Like, you know, that's like the big phrase now. Like I see it all the time. It's like, I am him. It's, you guys following me here? It's like super kind of, you know, you guys aren't, well, some people are, I assure you, because I've seen them say it about themselves. I'm him. Um, Paul's point is, Jesus is him. He himself, it is all about him. He is our peace. See, our peace is not a journey. Our peace is a person. He is our peace. We talk about peace. You want peace? When we think of peace, what do we think about? We think about having peace. What, what do we think about having peace? What do you think about? Anybody? Yes, sir. No conflict. Like, there's the absence of conflict. Like, at home, it's just cool. Like, there's no, no fighting. Your friends, there's no fighting. Absence of conflict. Yeah. What else? Yeah, there's quite like tranquility. Like, is this quiet? Anybody else? See, when Jesus talks about peace, he, and when Paul talks about peace, he, like the person, the person of Jesus is our peace. A man, a savior. It is him. It is not circumstantial about what's going on around us. It's not, it's not about the setting that we're in. It's not about, it's about being in the person of the Lord Jesus. He says he is the prince of peace. In Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, and that's a reference to the government, a government of peace, a state of national tranquility. It's external peace, it's internal peace. Now, Jesus said in John 14, peace I, li- I, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. See, the world can offer us all kinds of things. And there will be times where you know, there's an allure there. There's a temptation there. there there's a, an attraction, whether it's accolades, whether it's you know, materialism, whether it's accomplishment, whatever it is that draws on your heart, the world will offer things that, that will present a, an appearance of giving you what you think you desire. But what Jesus is saying, I give you my peace, my peace I give to you, but not as the world gives, because the world can't give in the way that the Lord Jesus can give. Because he is our peace. He is our peace. So he, Paul goes on, he has made both groups into one. What both groups are we talking about? The Jews and the Gentiles. He made them into one. We talk about division and conflict. That was, that was the conflict of the, of the time, of the era. Not just uh, of that social group, but it was who's in the promise, who's part of the covenant, and who's not. Who's in the party, and who's on the outside looking in. And, G, and what Paul is saying, he is, he, is, he is reconciled. He has made both of those groups into one group. So, so instead of having Jews and Gentiles, you have a new people, the people of God, saved by the grace and through the blood of the Lord Jesus, who he has brought near. He goes on to say, Paul says, who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. 
What's he talking about? Paul says, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. There was actually a literal barrier in Jerusalem at this time. A physical structure. And this, this stone wall was created so that, it was, it, it, so that the Gentiles, it's called the temple area on the one side and the court of the Gentiles on the other. And the Gentiles weren't supposed to cross this barrier. And Paul's saying he tore that barrier down, that dividing wall, he tore it down. On this wall, there's an inscription. It said on the wall, and imagine if you're a Gentile and you're reading this. It said, no one of another nation, not an Israelite, no one of another nation to enter within the fence, this wall, an enclosure round the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. You come in that wall, you're dead. That's what it said. So think about it like um, during segregation, it was like white water fountains and black water fountains or white um, countertops where you could go eat and, or buses and so forth. And, and the point here is, back then, is you, know, you don't want to divide, you don't want to cross that dividing line. It's very dangerous. And that's why during those protests. It was very dangerous to the people who, who led those efforts. And it's the same way. There's a dividing wall, and, and it says, you go past this wall, and you don't belong. You're not an Israelite. You will die. And Paul's saying that dividing wall was torn down. That's actually why Paul was arrested. Paul ended up in Rome. We're talking about we started this, Paul's like under house arrest. Why is he under house arrest? Paul's under house arrest because they accused him of taking a Gentile past this wall. And so he's saying Jesus came and he tore down that dividing wall. He broke down that false barrier. That is what he's referring to. So he's, he, God, Jesus came, he destroyed the division of the time. He destroys the dividing wall. In the same way, he destroys illness, destroys pride, destroys the works of the devil. You know, you learn a lot about Jesus, thinking about what he destroys and what he, what he restores. What does he destroy? He destroys our sin. He destroys regrets. He destroys worry. He destroys, destroys illness. He destroys the division, the works of Satan. That's what he destroys. What does he restore? He restores our lives. He restores our communion. He destroys, restores our fellowship with God. He restores our purity. He restores our holiness. That is what he restores. Our unity with each other. And our unity with God through him. So you learn a lot about the Lord Jesus through what he destroys and what he restores, and he destroyed that dividing wall. Your next point is, how does he do it? How does he restore the unity? Now, verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Abolishing, this is what he, 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 what he wishes to end will end. He abolished it. He put it, he destroyed it. Jesus' will, power, his ability to destroy is not going to be restrained when he decides that something will be destroyed. In his flesh, the en en enmity, who knows what enmity is? Paul's referring to really, real hostility. The hostility, hatred, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So he destroys, he, he abolished the source of division See, there's, these, there's this conflict between two people, this state of war, this condition of conflict, and, and it's based on the commands and the ordinances that he destroyed. How? 
How did he destroy it? Because he perfectly fulfilled the moral law and he destroyed the ceremonial law. For those in him were one in unity. So how does he destroy it in himself? By destroying the ceremonial law and fulfilling the moral law that they were aspiring to. So there's no division in him. Paul goes on, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. See, nothing is now keeping, in the Lord Jesus, nothing is keeping uh, the Gentiles and the Jews separated. He has restored them into one new man. And, and the byproduct of that new fellowship, that new man is peace. He is establishing peace for them. And for them and for us. If he came and he divided the, and destroyed the dividing wall and destroyed the division by fulfilling God's moral law, then wh- why would we create division amongst ourselves? Such superficial division. Such unnecessary division. We know that it was so important to the Lord Jesus to come, that, that he destroyed the main source of division between Jews and Gentiles, between us and God. And yet, and yet we, we fabricate all kinds of ways to divide ourselves. Now, you know, if you're not, you're not in elected office and you're not, you know, you are who you are and you, and you are where you are. And so as far as where you are, and as far as where you go, and as far as what you do, you can control the divisions around you. And whether we're going to create superficial things that divide us, or like the Lord Jesus, we won't create those sort of superficial barriers that he has destroyed and live in unity in the one new person, establishing peace and fellowship and unity amongst ourselves as believers in the Lord Jesus. He goes on in verse 16. You might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Again, the same word enmity is the hostility. So in addition to fulfilling the moral law and destroying the ceremonial law, there's no longer separation or condemnation. And he, God, Jesus didn't accomplish this by, by lifting one up, saying, okay, so now with Gentiles, now you're going to be elevated. And, and Jews, now you're going to be subjugated. No, he didn't do that. He just tore, he, he destroyed the dividing wall and brought them together in a new, in a new unity. It was what is the way in which Paul is uh, describing it. One commentator said he he melted down a silver and a lead, and have a, has a new creation of gold. That is the work of the Lord Jesus. In Psalm 46, I think it's a beautiful psalm. I'm just going to read it to you, uh, just a couple of verses to talk about the, 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 the works of the Lord. Listen, I'm just going to read this for a second. Just listen in. Psalm 46, verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The Lord will accomplish what the Lord seeks to accomplish. And what he has destroyed, do not recreate. 
If you once were far off and he has brought you near, come near. Do not delay. There is nothing out there. Being far off, what do you think you're going to gain? Nothing. Heartbreak, disappointment. There's nothing out there. Be brought near. Paul goes on to say he put to death the enmity, completely ended that hostility. Through the cross, he brought us near. Through the cross, he ended our wandering, our lostness. We were guilty, we were strangers, and he brought us near to be adopted as children, purified, made new. There's no other God like our God. I'll tell you, I was snow skiing. I love snow skiing. I was snow skiing once, not long ago, and I up at this, took this lift up, and I, was, I ended up on this, um, like, a summit. And, uh, and before we started skiing, it just happened in this particular part of the mountain. It was like a 360 view of, um, uh, it was like one range after another range. And everywhere you looked, it was just this beautiful, truly awesome um, visual of just mountain ranges. And, and I just thought to myself, I was just struck, God, our God is so awesome. I mean, we use the word awesome a lot, but of this view, I'm telling you, it was awesome. And then I had a second thought, and it was this. I am so tiny and so minuscule, and I look out over all these ranges, if I fall into the hands of our Lord to be judged, oh my God. I mean, I, as I, I, I literally like shuddered at the thought. I shuddered at the thought of being judged by a God so powerful, so great, and so awesome. And the great news is we have been brought near by the blood of the cross and united. Who would ever say, you know what? I'll take judgment. That's what I want to sign up for. Friends, don't do that. That is not the way. You've been brought near. Verse 17, and he came and preached to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So preach there is like Jesus came and announced great news, peace to all of us. Whether you're far away, brought near, peace to those who are near. Now if you hear this preaching, if you hear that God came, that the Lord Jesus came and preached peace to you, you're like, and, and that doesn't move you, you don't care. You find it unpersuasive. You know, you're stuck at, you're, you're basically just stuck as a, you're going to live your life as a backseat driver. That's not a happy place to be. There's no other solution except to be brought near by his, his blood. So last point, what's the great benefit? What, 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 what a great benefit. Verse 18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Through him we both, both the old and the new, have our access in one spirit to the Father. So Jesus is presenting us to the Father. He's introducing, this is a picture of he is introducing us to the Father before the throne. We have access, this is VIP access to the Father. You know, it, 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 the, we, were at, um, we were at a baseball game. We went actually, I thought, hey, we'd get to see Aaron Judge hit 62. And I, I, I mistimed it, obviously. We went down the wrong day. Um, but anyways, we had tickets, and I was so excited because 
that we had special access. And, uh, and we went into the door and, and I walk up and there's like security. I'm like, special access. And I'm like, oh yeah, there we go. So we go. And, uh, and it was great. And it, and it, was, it was so much, it was so, you felt like, hey, we're, it, we're the, this is VIP. We had special access. Well, that doesn't amount to beans because what, what, what Jesus has provided for us, Jesus is your usher to provide special access, direct access, presenting you before the throne of God. And if you're like, I'd rather be in the nosebleeds or I'll sit in the parking lot. I don't want any part of that. You know, for what? For what? Access to the Father in one spirit. Through the Lord Jesus, by his grace, he has brought us near. So a quick ap application point. Kind of been talking about it the whole time, but where are you now? Where are you now? Are you in him? Like Not like this sort of general proximity, but like in him. Like Paul says. Are you still far off? That's your first question. I want you to think about that. Are you in him or are you still far off? Honestly. Your second question is, if you are in him, do you, are you modeling the unity that he has restored? Or are we just making up divisions? You know, just as fast as we can. Over all kinds of things. He is a God of unity. The Lord Jesus is, he's abolished division. So I pray that as you consider these things, that you would, that you would pause and recognize that we are the object of his affection, that he has died on the cross, who you were, if you were once far off, you can now be brought near by his blood, through his blood, because he has destroyed the division and the condemnation that we're the subject of. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for these guys. Thanks for, these, for this group. Thank you for these words, Lord God, in, your, in your, the Bible that you've provided to us, that we, would, that we would be brought near to you. What a great privilege and what a great honor that you would allow us to, to be in your fellowship, that we'd be united and presented to you, all by your blood and by your grace and by your cross. And it's through your holy name we pray. Amen.